Good morning. How are you? And don't even talk at once. I can't hear all the responses. Well, as many of you know, my name is Tim, and I am, uh, I hang around here every now and then, help out with a few things, sometimes, uh, much to some of your chagrin, I'm playing the drums as well as Jürgen there, and so we have the cage, so it's good now. Um, but I get to come and I get to talk to you a little bit about faith tonight, today, which I'm excited for, um, because I, I love talking about it. Uh, I love reading what I read in here. Uh, I love kind of twisting my head and scrunching my eyes as I do that in order hopefully to help myself understand and hopefully to help you understand what's written there prayerfully. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through a chapter in what's called Hebrews. So in the New Testament, if you've got a physical Bible with you, I'm giving you some time to flip through there. Or if you want to get there on your smartphones, the words will be on the screen. Uh, but chapter 12 in Hebrews is where we're going to be going through today. We're going to go through the whole chapter. Now, Hebrews is a funny thing. Um, it's uh, because it's kind of like a sermon itself. So in a way, I'm kind of hijacking someone else's sermon. So that's kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> but that's what we get to do today. Um, when I think about faith in Jesus, and for those of us in this room who say that we, we have faith in Jesus... Uh, I, I think about a whole bunch of different things, but I often come back to what we end up doing uh, in, in faith is, is, well, we're people of faith, we still do rely on our senses. We rely on our eyes uh, to, well, to read the word of God, uh, our ears to hear people witness to us about faith, and we rely on our minds to think and to scrutinize and to critically try and understand uh, what, what this is all about. We use our emotions as well to kind of feel through things and, and as almost like a litmus test for us, if things are going well, then, then we think, oh, I must be on the right track. And if things aren't going well, then we think I must not be on the right track. And, and if we're having difficulties or we're experiencing hostility and it's sustained, eventually our feelings begin to tell us maybe you're way off track. So we're people of faith, but we can't help but use our senses to try and navigate our faith. The difficulty comes particularly when we have those difficult times, when we have hostility. When we have people chiding us for our faith. And this is something that we're not alone in. So the people to whom... Hebrews was originally addressed, likely had some similar concerns themselves. Let's read that first little bit of chapter 12 together. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here we are. But it kind of feels like we're, we're, um, we have to catch our bearings, don't we? Because we're, we're in the middle of something. It says, therefore, since 
We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We have to catch our bearings. Where are we? Where do we find ourselves in this, this passage of Scripture that's appealing to us to endure, to run a race with endurance? What we can discern from Hebrews is that these people were the kinds of people who had been written to who were having difficulty coming to grips with the hostility that surrounded them as they practiced their faith. Another thing that we can kind of gain from all the details, we have to kind of infer and, and to deduce as we read the book of Hebrews what's going on based on what's being talked about because it's, something's being addressed because something was at issue. And based on the kind of quotations that are used and all this fun stuff, we can kind of discern that the kinds of people that are being talked to here are people who had converted likely from Judaism to Christianity. If you read from Hebrews chapter 1 all through chapter 10, you're going you're to read a lot about the, temp, the tabernacle. You'll read a lot about Moses and the law and the priestly character of Jesus and how Jesus is superior as a, as a priest and how Jesus' sacrifice is superior to all the sacrifices that happen. For you and me, though, we don't really have that kind of background. Most of us don't have a background um, in, a, in a religion where we're continually sacrificing uh, goats and bulls and turtle doves in an attempt to get right with God. But these people did. And the difficulty that they were struggling with was they had been persecuted before and they were fine, but now more persecution is coming up and they're kind of thinking, do I need to go back to that? Because I was told that all I had to do was believe in Jesus, but I've been dealing with this stuff over and over again. And the persecution is coming fast and it's coming heavy. And so they're wavering and they're considering, maybe I need to go back to that. So let's catch up a little bit and read uh, Hebrews 11, verses 1 through, I think it's 4s we have here. So we can kind of understand what the therefore is therefore. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, this is beautiful, we understand that the universe created, was created by the word of God. So that what was seen was not made of the things that are visible. So here we again, we have that tension of faith and our senses. We have faith to understand that the universe is created by a word? By a word? That's difficult for us to come to grips with. Because we're people of observation, we're people of study, we meticulous, we get our magnifying glass out, uh, we get our microscopes out, we get our telescopes out, and we observe and we report. And we report on what we can see. But by faith, we understand that the universe is created by the word of God so that it is seen, was not, was not made out of things that are visible. There's kind of an aside here for us. When you think seen was made by things that are invisible or not visible, there's no way by observation alone we're going to be able to discern how things came about. And so we have to, by faith, understand this. This is difficulty. This is difficult for us. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So this is Abel. The list continues with people like Moses and Jacob, Sarah, Isaac, 
And it goes on and on and on about how people had decided to put their faith in God and their faith was rewarded. They got to see that God was faithful to them. So we come down to Hebrews uh, eleven thirteen. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. As part of the faith process for these peoples, they had to recognize that the things that they could see and taste and touch and feel were not going to be the end of it for them. Not even in their countries, not even in their homes, to be considered exiles, strangers, foreigners. We continue along to Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40, just before we get to our therefore, where it says, again, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. From the lead up, Hebrews chapters 1 through 11, and even here in chapter 12, we get a few things that can kind of help us catch our bearings to frame the discussion about faith and to help us to see what are the main points that are being addressed to this people uh, from the person who is, I will say, speaking, because this is more of a sermon than it is uh, a letter or anything. So the one who's speaking will say. See, our faith has a long history with many witnesses backing it up. Our faith has a long history with many witnesses backing it up. And witnessing is a pretty interesting thing. Witnesses is an interesting thing. Evidence is an interesting thing for us because we like the idea of evidence and we like the idea of witnesses, but sometimes we have a hard time accepting it, don't we? You don't have to look far. You can look to the Me Too movement or you can look to what's happening right now in the States. Sometimes we don't want to hear the witness's testimony because we're afraid of what they'll tell us. So by, by our own, I would say, if we agree with this statement, by our own admission, sometimes we have a difficulty accepting witnesses. But I would challenge you that there is a witness that you do not want to neglect. And there are witnesses that you do not want to neglect. And they're the witnesses that are claimed here. When the author of Hebrews spoke to this congregation, this likely very small congregation, probably in Rome, probably no larger than one of our growth groups, little plug for growth groups there, by the way, <laughs> maybe 10 or 15 people, they were trying to encourage them to, to look at this as, as, as these people had had testified to God's faithfulness and to the worthwhileness of them staying in faith to Jesus and not going back to their old ways, which for them was likely going to a sacrificial system to see if they could maybe get right with God and somehow perform. If they could perform good enough, then maybe they could get there. And while we might not be able to find an attachment or an affinity with the sacrificial system, so a lot of those ch chapters are hard for us to get through, we can find an affinity with a desire to feel like we can perform to get there. And what better day to talk about performance than today, folks, right? 
Because tonight, millions of people, some of us included, are going to tune in, and we're going to try and see, and we're going to discern the different performances that we see on our TVs. Is the halftime performance up to snuff, or is it going to be like Maroon 5? Are they going to fumble the ball, or are they going to get a pick? Take it all the way to the end zone. And then we're going to celebrate a moment of impressive performance, because we like that. We love the story of a really impressive performance, a big bang, a big hit, a big win. That sells. We like, we, we're going to scrutinize maybe some advertisers and see if they put up some really, really funny advertisements. And we'll scrutinize that for the performance of those advertisements. But our faith requires endurance, not performance. We're told to endure. It's an endurance. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint, folks. Our faith requires endurance, not performance. That's not what God's looking for is a great performance, but he's looking for solid endurance. And finally, our faith is specifically set upon Jesus. We're told to look to him, the guy who runs ahead of us, who has already run ahead of us, who's finished the race and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He has been exalted because he finished the race, because he went through and he continued along with the suffering that he had to endure, this hostility that he had to endure, this, these difficulties that he had to endure, and he went through these things and he came up the other side. So we look to him. We set our eyes upon him. In fact, he did the performance, so all that we have to do is endure, because he went to the cross. So here we get into some more difficult things. As we go along to uh, verses 3 through 6, it says, Consider who endured, that's Jesus, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But we know who did, right? Who is it? Who got to the point of shedding his blood? It's Jesus himself. Now it takes a turn that, that kind of makes your head turn if you're just reading this by yourself. You'll think, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son he receives. Oh boy. So now we're talking about difficulty and discipline, and it's just a quick caveat. Not every difficulty you experience in your life is going to be the Lord's discipline, but there is a chance that some difficulties you face might be God teaching you something through discipline. And that's not a popular thing to say, I understand. Discipline isn't fun. No one wants to be disciplined. It's not encouraging, but we need discipline. Uh, not just the kind that, that requires us to be focused, but the kind that is corrective, the kind of parental discipline that a loving father or mother would do. And we should consider this a good thing. Because as it goes on in verse 7, it's for the discipline that you have to endure. It's for discipline that you have to endure. It's for the sake of discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Wow. 
And besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? I mean, truly live because we experience discipline because that that discipline is going to do something in our lives. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. We may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline trains us. I've been told this story. About a 12-year-old girl. This is a true story. She told her friend at the time that she could go out all night and her parents wouldn't bat an eye. They wouldn't care. 12 years old, she could go out all night, anytime she wanted to, and her parents wouldn't care. For most 12-year-olds, this is a dream come true, right? Yes! I can do whatever I want. No rules! But the problem is, At 12 years old, she got so desperate for someone to care for her that she left her home for the foster system. At 12 year old, she knew what most adults, it takes until they're adults to realize, and listen up kids, (laughs) listen up teens, if you're in this room, (laughs) that the discipline of a loving parent is a good thing. And it's a necessary thing. 12 years old. And she recognizes that she needed some discipline. She wanted someone to love her. She wanted people to, her parents to, to be present enough to know when she wasn't there. And that, that was a problem. Our God is not an absent parent. He loves us enough to discipline us, and that is a good thing. So endurance of our faith includes discipline. From God, because he loves us. Often you'll hear the argument, how can there be uh, God because there's too much bad stuff in this world? Sometimes you can take that argument, flip it on its head, and say, God allows us to be tested because he cares. Because right here it says, to train us in righteousness. Therefore, verse 12, it says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. We're encouraged to strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one's sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The speaker is encouraging them 
to turn back towards Christ, to turn back towards faith, to strengthen themselves, and to look at these characteristics of a holy life, and to aim for those, because if if this hostility that they're experiencing truly is, if this hostility they're experiencing truly is discipline from the Lord, they're going to want to turn towards faith, not away from it. They're going to want to turn towards Jesus, not away from him. They're going to want to double down. Not try something else. For you and me, the issue is we can sometimes go from faith in Jesus, from from asking him what it is that he wants to do in our hearts, to saying, I got it, God, I'm going to fix this myself. And oh man, I am so, so guilty of this. In so many ways, all I ever want to do is just solve the problem. And I know, like, you know, wives of husbands probably might feel this way. (laughs) You've had that conversation. I don't want you to solve it right now. And sometimes I feel like that's the way with my faith. My faith is I just want to solve it. I want to fix it. I want to show God that I can perform. And so when I screw up, when I have uh, difficulties, and when I'm facing hostility and I'm facing frustration and I'm facing difficulty on my part, which was, in this case, we'll say, I know that I brought it upon myself. Then I want to fix it. But Jesus went to the cross to fix it for me. And when I neglect that, then I put myself in a dangerous path. As we wrap up here, we've got to, actually, verse 18. It says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire uh, and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. They could not endure. So there's that word again. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. All of this is, well, it's a mouthful, let's be honest here. There's a lot going on here. All of this is, is the author hearkening back to that, to that old covenant, to all the different things. The, the, the contrast between the covenant that was um, enacted on Mount Sinai when the law was given. Many of, them, many of the, the Hebrews at the time, the, I guess the people who converted from Judaism to Christianity, they had believed that there were angels present when that happened, uh, when God gave the stone tablets to Moses. They were mediating. But this, uh, the, and the writer of Hebrews had spent a lot of time saying, well, yeah, Jesus is a better mediator than, they, mediator than they were. Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is a better sacrifice. And he's the final sacrifice. And he's bringing this all back to a head. In comparison Mount Sinai with Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is... is it's typifying that which is unseen against that which is seen. We can see Mount Sinai. We cannot see the heavenly Jerusalem, but we can see the regular Jerusalem. And we know it's probably not looking like what people had thought they would like it to look like right about now, right? But faith is the evidence. Uh, faith is the conviction. Sorry. The assurance of things hoped for. 
the conviction of things not seen. There will be one day when we won't need to have the conviction of things not seen because we'll be present with God in the heavenly place, in the city of Jerusalem, that heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And so we hear about this assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, heaven, the innumerable angels in festal gathering, the judge of all, and with Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And his blood, here it goes again, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So God spoke the world into motion. Abel's blood speaks. Do you remember what Abel's blood spoke? In Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, it says, uh, God says to Cain, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Abel's blood broke a word of, spoke a word of condemnation. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, speaks a better word than that. So we finish this section of the scripture for the day with this final challenge, this final exhortation. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. This is a dire warning for people because God had warned them from earth using the prophets, using the law, and then he came in the form of his son, and his son is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven, and now he warns from heaven. At that time, his voice, it said, shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, things you can see, you can taste, you can touch, things that we can observe, things that we feel pretty confident of. The removal of those things in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Which by... Um, process of elimination, if the things which have been made um, are, are now gone, then that means the things which have not been made, the things that are unseen, the things of the heavenly realm, the things of God's character and God's nature will remain. Which are the things that we had to put faith in because we didn't see them. So there's that difficulty. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. This is God being speaking, being referred to. And that's coming from Haggai. Let's take a quick look at that together. We're almost done, I promise. Here it says, here's the full quote. I don't have it. Ah, here it is. My <laughs> For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Listen to the one who is speaking. And the one who is speaking when we're reading the word of God is who else but God himself. The one who is speaking when you're hearing the word of God presented to you by myself or anyone else, we believe by some divine, incredible thing that God is partnering with us and it is God who is speaking. Because we're speaking his word. 
And so for some of you, you might have a difficulty with your faith right now because you've heard the word of God before and you've accepted it, but, but maybe something happened. Maybe the person from whom you heard the word of God turned out not to be such a great person after all. Maybe the place in which that you first heard the word of God, you heard the gospel, you heard this, this, this word that goes out and doesn't return void as it says in the scripture. Maybe things kind of went weird there and so you, you started now to doubt yourself. Because if, if things went weird for that person or for that organization, that, then, then maybe they didn't have it right. But if what was said at the time lines up with what you can read and hear, then you've heard the word of God and you need to listen to him who is speaking. Because what he speaks, he does. When God, what, what God speaks happens. What God speaks happens. He created the world with a word. He can save you with a word. He can sustain you with a word. What God speaks happens, so listen, trust, and keep going. It's not about performance. It's about endurance. So hang in tight.